Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends, your family, and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, Jazz Takar, has been in the sales and service industry for over 27 years. Soon after deciding to try his hand in real estate, he founded REC Canada under Royal LePage, and for over five years now, he has successfully kept his team in the top three in the country. With 54 realtors and 11 support staff, the team advises and assists over 625 buyers, sellers, and investors yearly across the greater Toronto area, and that has resulted in sales transactions well in excess of $2 billion. Jazz's passion and area of expertise is in helping investors build out their real estate portfolios. And in wanting to share his knowledge and experience with the masses, he wrote a book titled Real Estate Intelligence, which teaches anyone how to buy or sell real estate on their own. Furthering his pursuit to educate and inspire, he developed a love for content creation and now hosts one of the top business podcasts in North America, the Jazz Takar Podcast. And he also founded a media company from the ground up media where he helps other real estate agents produce quality content. His tension is always to lead with inspiring education and content to aid others in removing the friction from their own life in order to help them get from where they are today to where they want to be. And with that in mind, let's get this show started. Jazz Takar, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Dude, I'm excited to have you on the show. I think I'm more excited to be on the show, Patrick. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, I, I've seen you everywhere, brother. So thank you for having <laughs> me. It, it truly is an honor, brother. Thank okay, you. Okay, so we're gonna have some fun. You're uh, you're out in uh, you know on the in Central Canada. What do we call Ontario? I call it Central Canada. It's technically Central, but everybody refers to it as East. 
I was going to go down the eastern Canada route myself. I, yeah. I, didn't, I guess you're right. If you look at a map, we're more central than anything else. Yeah. But just born and raised here, I've always said eastern Canada as well. Yeah, no, so far. Uh, but tomato, tomato. Okay, here we go. So you're, <laughs> you're there. You're there. You're there, right? So, okay, Jazz, um, let's get listeners dialed in and say, you know, who is Jazz Takar? If somebody says, you know, what do you do? I know it's a loaded question for you, but it is. what do you yeah, do? Um, look, I mean, first and foremost, um, I'm, a, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. Um, I got two little boys, six and eight years old. But if I guess from a, a professional perspective, I've been a real estate broker now for coming up to 17 years. I am very, very blessed to have uh, a partner of mine in the real estate business uh, that's actually also been on the show. Um, I think I, I'm, it's safe to say I'm the better looking partner for sure. <laughs> sure. But uh, S- Simeon and I have been together for a very long time. We're blessed to have 54, 55 real estate agents on our team that cover this greater Toronto area. They're really the guys and gals that are that are on the streets helping people, you know, find their first home, first condo, selling their properties, what we call smart sizing as well, like moving up, moving down in terms of uh, uh, types of properties. Myself and Simeon really focus our efforts on, on investing in real estate. So we help our clients now. Oh, we're up to about a little over 10,046 people that are what we, 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 we call them the REC nation slash REC insiders, people that have been um, listening to our podcast, watching our webinars, just been in our community for, for the 17 years. We help them with investing in real estate. And obviously, we're going to go into that as well. And then, and then what I, I do a lot of is create content. I, I, I started this journey of creating content anywhere from I'm going to say on average about 10 to 12 pieces a day on all the platforms, like consistently. That's the YouTube, the podcast, the Instagram, the LinkedIn, because I found four years ago, I found podcasting, like the, the, the audio format. Then I, then I started recording videos. But what, what, what I really fell in love with, with when it came to content creation is that there was a white space. There was a white space in, in sales professionals not creating educational content, right? Not to say that there's nobody doing it in the real estate world. I just found that there wasn't a lot of people doing it. It was more call me, a more, more, more self-promotional stuff. And, and, and the tack that I took, which is, is just leading with education, like giving people all the trade secrets, so to speak, and, 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 and actually helping people to hopefully even do it on their own, invest in real estate, sell their properties, buy their properties. And, and so content creation is a big part of who I am and what I do on a daily basis. And then I have, uh, between my content creation and the real estate company, I have 12, support staff right now and and that's kind of really my passion like i'm watching some of the guys and gals out of that 12 support staff that have been with me for eight years now and i'm just thinking of one guy for example right now tyler he was the waiter at the jack astors downstairs where my headquarters are here at shops at don mills in in toronto eight years ago he was our waiter just kind of noticed 
you know, this guy's a little different. He, he, he has some charisma, um, very hospitable. And now he's leading one of the, 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 the biggest parts of our organization, which is, which is like speaking and sitting down with our clients and just watching that growth. I think that for me is probably the fit, my favorite part of, of what I get to do is, is, is helping to develop more leaders. Now it's, it, it's really cool to see. Now you're, uh, you're still relatively young, but every Everybody is to me these days. But the point is, the, the reason I ask that question is because you've been doing this actually quite a long time. I think uh, your bio shows 27 years, somewhere in that. So you started young and, and you continue to you continue your journey of building your business. Now, the 27 years parts of my bio was was me being in, in, in sales and service as a real estate broker yep. and having a team. It's been exactly 17 years. Yep. So thank you for Thank you for the ego boost. I am. I just turned forty, um, so I appreciate yeah, that. And, that's and so unfair. Yours is so unfair. <laughs> now, good for you. Let me break this down because you've given me a lot to work with here already, and we're, we've got a lot of things I want to talk about today. But you know, you look at your position with REC, you and Simeon Papa, Papa Ilias, who was on my show as well as your partner. Uh, you guys have been doing some amazing things. I mean, to grow that brokerage to fifty-four agents in you know in the GTA and and accomplish all that you've accomplished. In supporting uh, your investors to be successful investing in real estate and then you being a content provider as well as a leader within your organization. So let me let me kind of break this down because when we look at the journey of entrepreneurship and we understand you know the leaders and the contribution that they have to be, I mean I I drive content. Like I'm a, I provide a lot of content. I mean aside from my podcast or what I do in, you know at meetings and you know supporting rain members. I mean, I'm in the trenches with my research team, lots of economic stuff. That's kind of, I've gotten nerdy about that. That's weird. Okay. I digress. So my question to you in this long winded way of leading up is your content provider, but what is your role in the business? You're a leader. Are you, are you CEO, COO, CFO? Like where, where do you, or do you fall into that category? I personally, and, and not to kind of have a play on words or just to make up titles, I I like to think of myself as the CVO, kind of the chief vision officer, um, where four years ago, almost to the day right now, uh, we had a third business partner and he passed away tragically. And he was kind of the face. He was the face of the of, of our organization, myself and Simeon were leading really the sales um, arm of our, of our of the organization. But what happened is, is that when he passed away, it left this gaping hole in who was going to be out there. You know, I don't like to use the word the face of the brand because I also think Simeon does his part as well, right? It was really more just who's going to take the lead now? Who's going to who's going to start putting out content? And, and and when I say content, it doesn't mean from a video or an audio. Like I mean just writing the emails, who's going to make the phone calls. I've always, you talked about the journey. I've always been in sales. I said the 27 years. And so, you know, I, I did, I did newspapers when I was 12, Patrick, I went to shoe sales and not the Al Bundy type. And some of your older listeners are going to get that reference. It was really, it was really helping sprinters and marathons. So needing to know your product like that, was really instilled in me at the age of 15, 16. I had a co-op placement at, at, at a store that dealt with uh, sprinters and marathon runners. Then I went into the banking industry at the age of 18, was spent about three years with uh, uh, the, the, the Red Bank here in Canada, um, really honed in on my phone skills because I worked in the telephone banking just before online banking came out. And then three years in the car business working at Acura. That's, I spent my whole life in sales. I've had no other job. So 
to answer your question, like my actual role, it's to come up with with what is like what are we going to present to our investors? How are we going? Like what's going to be our sales funnel? What's going to be the process? Which team member is going to lead a specific what we call like a product launch or an, an opera investment opportunity launch? So I'm really the the front facing to the clients where Simeon Simeon really handles our 54 55 agents. He holds them accountable. He he's kind of their coach in that sense with the realtors. He also I'm very lucky. Like we 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 kind of came up with an analogy where if we were a football team, I would have been I would be kind of the 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 offensive coordinator and he would be more of the defensive coordinator where I hate it's just not my strength. Like I'm not good when it comes to the legals and the accounting and all that. Like that stuff. It, it, like for Simeon, it comes second nature to him. For me, I like doing this. I like to speak with clients. I like to figure out, okay, out of my 10,046 people right now, what's the heartbeat? Like, what are they looking for? Right. And so, and then I'm going to go out and try to find that for them, reverse engineer it. So when I say the chief vision, chief vision officer, I, I really, again, when my partner, the third partner passed away, I really sat back a, I knew that we have to go back to basics, call everybody and let them know we're still in business, um, first and foremost. And then second, what, how were we going to, how were we going to start to speaking to clients and what was going to be kind of our messaging? And that's when I came up with, we're just going to lead with education. We're not going to be, in my opinion, being in sales for such a long time. I think all salespeople, unfortunately, um, are not, it, it's not the most trusted profession. Like if firemen and firewomen are the most trusted profession, I think salespeople are near the bottom. And, and that's just kind of the, unfortunately, the stigma around salespeople, not that everyone is that, but I sat back and said, look, the bar's not set that high. We just need to not push people, right? And we, you and I were talking off air, you know, in my old studio, which is under construction now, there's a massive sign that says removing, used to be, uh, uh, used to say removing friction, because that's a reminder. Our job as, as, as real estate brokers is to just make it as easy as we possibly can for people to make an informed quality decision. We like rain. I mean, rain is, one of the top organizations when it comes to education. And, and I'm not just saying that because I'm speaking to you, Patrick. I mean, for anybody who's listening, your listeners know, but from my community who's listening that doesn't know Rain, just go Google them, check them out, Google Patrick. Like These guys head up a lot of the data that comes into the country when it comes to investing in real estate. We also, though, wanted to put our spin on it, meaning the average client in our in our organization is blue collar i'm going to say 50 50 45 to about 60 that's kind of the age group but they don't come from a background of understanding how to even refinance a property or why they should look at refinancing not that they should do it or shouldn't do it that's up to them they need to have the stomach for it what we did is put it in layman's terms and and because i barely passed high school i mean i get a lot of kudos for a lack of a better better word on my videos because Within 47 seconds, I, I, I find ways to explain it to the regular person how to refinance. I say all that because I had to learn the layman's terms because I don't have any degrees. I barely, as I mentioned, past high school, didn't do any post-secondary school. So I had to learn by asking a lot of questions. And now I'm just filtering, filtering that out to, the, to, to our clients. 
you know, there's a, there's a lot to unpack in all of what you just said. So I'm going to work backwards from a couple of things because I think you're stepping over a couple of things. I think you're stepping over because I've had the uh, pleasure of interviewing Simeon and I've been kind of keeping my eye on you knowing that you're going to come on the podcast as well as of course our relationship with REC being a trusted partner expanding the scope of what we want to do and what you guys want to do and what we can bring our clients collectively but the single most important part of all of that you know we you know business wise you and Simeon are obviously savvy you're a sales guy you've got a background of sales perfect we all understand that fundamental I love a good sales guy I love being sold I just love going in and a good sales guy that knows how to sell me. Like it, it's a pleasure for me. And I'm a bit of a clothes hound. I used to be prior to COVID, but you know, I love going in. Like I had a sales guy that would come in and he would see me coming in or he'd know I'd coming in. I'd walk in the door, he'd grab a blazer and he would just go, this is like perfect for you. And like the next thing, you know, I, I was going in for a pair of shoes. I'm walking out with a belt and a blazer and the whole, you know, the whole thing. But I love, cause I'm, I'm, I'm a, like, I love good sales guys. I I don't mind being sold. But the point is this, there's a fundamental behind even that. And that is, is how we share common values. To your point, sales guys are sometimes looked at as kind of the low, kind of the low person on the totem pole sometimes because it's like people don't trust them and all the rest of it. But you and Simeon have created a values-based vision that you treat your clients well, yes, but you're aligning with that vision with a standard of values that actually takes you to the top of the heap in terms of how you're seen as support mechanism, how you're seen as a support business, right? And and so these are values-based conversations, and I think that's most important, which is, you know, and, and forget about, you know, we uh, you know, integrity, everybody goes, well, values is integrity. Well, no, it's not. It's it's that's just that's like, that's a moral value. I'm just talking about who we are as a character. And that's so yeah. important. Yeah, I think I think if you look both of like our backgrounds, so I'm um, born and raised here in Toronto, really the northern part of Toronto in an area called Rexdale, where like, it's just, it's, again, a bad stigma. Um, you know, you go to the corners. Um, they're not people necessarily that that you should be looking up to. But I was very sheltered. Again, I won the lottery with like, the the DNA that my parents possessed me with and also just being born in that household because I had two older brothers and for me it's always a healthy reminder with having two older brothers that I'm closer to the bottom than I am to the top like they remind me till this day I got a 46 year old older brother and a 50 year old brother and 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 you know getting high on my own supply just doesn't like that just doesn't go really well in that household and 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 so I'm very blessed because of that but my father was a taxi driver his whole life my mother was a factory worker her whole life grade four education for my mom grade eight education for my dad Simeon pizza uh, uh, restaurant owners uh, restaurant owners first but then the pizza shop right and so just having having uh, that reminder that like it doesn't matter how much money we make and 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 how many like how many people love us on online and all that kind of stuff it was never really sat well with us anyways right um I think one of the biggest things you said values driven and 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 you know taking care of our clients I think one thing that and we get very loud about it me specifically where I 
tell my clients all the time, you're important, but you're not important as my staff. Like I will get rid of clients really quickly before, like my staff is number one for me because when they're taken care of, I know what the byproduct is going to be. They're going to be happier and they're going to take care of my clients. But it's not even like, I'm not just giving lip service because I want one of my staff members to hear. If you ask them, I mean, am I, am I sometimes a slight, like for a lack of a better word, like a dictator, like I want in my way. Yeah, sure. Like, because I see the vision, I have some of the experience, but I mean, to a T, I mean, I think about them all the time. In fact, I'm going to say as high as Patrick, 25 to 30% of my day is just checking in on Nikki, who's one of my videographer and editors. And then I'm checking in on my VP, Laura. Then I'm checking in on Tyler. I'm, I'm, I'm really making sure that I understand like what's going on in their, in, 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 in their lives because I understand that work is not everything for them. I spend a lot of time here at the office. It's very important to me. I also don't expect them to work as hard as me. They don't get paid as much as I do. So that I understand all that. But for me, the clients actually come second. And then from Seamus and I, we've always come third. Like we know we'll get ours in time and we're getting a lot right now in terms of getting back all the hard work that we've put in over the last, really decade is when we put this thing on steroids when it was very focused for us. Right. Um, and so, yeah, for us, it's, it's, it's staff first clients and then ourselves. And I think that's really helped us because when, when we're making decisions, it's like, okay, how is this going to affect our, our staff? In fact, growing and partnering with rain, that was a big decision because we knew how large your organization is and just meeting more people that puts a lot of strain on our company we needed to first hire more people then we said okay guys rain are you if you're good with us we're good with you guys now because what good is it if we just say yes to you and we can't even service your people it's gonna make you look bad it's gonna make us look bad and so we needed to make sure that we hired more people because the the ones that we had we didn't want to double their work just because we could, because they work for us. I think a lot of leaders, it's, it's I'm the boss and you're the employee. The unfortunate part with that is Steven can go get a job somewhere else too. He can get paid somewhere else, right? And so if you make this culture, and I know it's a buzzword, like having good work culture, but I, you know, for us, Seamus and I like to have a lot of fun. We're laughing a lot. We we like to on a Friday open up a bottle of scotch with everyone. Let's have fun. We like food a lot. You can tell, and you can tell with Seamus as well. Both of us, we like to eat, but like when we eat, everyone's eating. And I mean that in the most literal sense, like when we're eating a box of pizza, but also like even if we're making money, we want to share that with our team. We want them to grow with us. Because you know, Patrick, it's hard to find good people, like good people that are loyal. They want to stay with the growth and understand that with growth comes challenges. I never tell my staff that, that look, there's not going to be challenges. I just want them to ride with me. Um, and, 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 and then when they're happy, it's why I think most of our clients are happy. It's the, it's the best compliment that we get. Like when clients write us emails or call us and say, Jazz, Laura was amazing to work with. Tyler was amazing. Like that is by far the biggest compliment because not that me and Simos are not one-on-one -on -one with our clients. We, we are on a regular basis, but at the scale that we are, we help a little over 
and I'm not saying this to impress anyone, just to impress upon people where the data is coming from, we help a little over 700 families a year to either buy, sell, or invest. That's a lot of families. And then also the fact that we probably came across three, four, five thousand people that are not ready right now. And, sure. and, and so you just need to service them. I love the kind of the context that you create, that you and Simeon have created for the business. And, and I want to dig into a little bit about your background, but back to this values conversation just briefly is that, you know, I've learned and I've made my mistakes along the way. As soon as I got out of alignment with my values, that's when business and shit hit the fan. Right. And, you know, there was a, when we talk about ethos or the statement of character of a business or an organization, you know, I I actually applied an, an acronym to ethos, which was energy, trust, heart, ownership, and sharing. So, you know, that, that was really about what is the energy that you bring? Like you, we, you've been in lots of relationships or you've, you've, You've come across different relationships where it's it's like their energy sucks. You know, you're you're that dude that you bring it. You and Simeon, your whole team, you guys bring energy into a room. You light it up, right? That's who you are by your nature, right? And then the trust. I mean, that's the first thing that you talked about was the level of trust that you have with your clients. Your heart's in it. If your heart's not in it, I don't give a shit what your mind, mindset is because you can you can overcome anything with mindset. But if your heart's not in it. It's not going to work, right? And then ownership. And this is where it's so important, the ownership component of it, because you you own it all. In other words, you accept full responsibility for the results and you focus on the results with your team. So in other words, you don't blame your team for shitty results. You own it. In other words... What did I do wrong? What did I not communicate? What, what, where did I, where was I responsible as your leader for this? And then of course, sharing. I mean, you're sharing content. You said it right out and you do it all the time. You're putting stuff out there. You're sharing, you're sharing your knowledge, your education, your insights, your love, your whatever you can share, you share. That's how you're built. So those are, that's a values-based conversation and people don't understand that they can actually, I don't think, I, I shouldn't say that. That's a sweeping comment. Many don't understand that that really is the difference between good and great. I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more, brother. I mean, when things happen, even with clients, because the amount of people and families that we're helping, like our, our staff know at the end of the day, the buck will always stop with myself or CMOS. I mean, in terms of roles, I do, like I said, the front facing stuff. So I have my own core group. CMOS has his 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 own core group and i mean my, my guys know I'll, I'll i'll tell i tell them all the time it's all my fault and i truly truly believe that because i hired you and i could fire you if like if i want if i feel like you're stealing or you're you're being rude or your your heart's not in it for example i have to hold myself accountable at the end of the day i also hired the person that hired someone else like tyler hired one of our newest uh, uh, concierge uh, directors, and 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 this person makes calls to our clients. And if something goes wrong with this guy, or 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 you know something happens with a client, at the end of the day, it's not even Tyler's fault. It's my fault because I'm the one who hired Tyler, right? And so I think my staff love that 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 at the end of the day, there's not a phone call that I'm concerned to get on. Like if. If a client is being rude, I'm going to pick up the phone and have a conversation with the client. If the client is being pushy or they're, they're just being tough, whatever that might be, I grew up on the phone. So for me,
me to pick up the phone and call a client. I'm never afraid of a situation. And and we have stuff come up all the time. And we look, I think you know this as well, Patrick, as an entrepreneur, you're putting out a lot of fires at times, right? And so sometimes my days, my days consist of just putting out fires because I also run a media company as well, where I create content for real estate agents. And that is a lot of fire uh, uh, fires that need to put out and uh, that need to be put out. But I'm not afraid to pick up the phone and just have those hard conversations with our clients, also with our staff as well. And so I love the acronym, by the way. I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely dive into that more. Use it. You know, it's a you know I I I share it with uh, the rain community all the time, and it's more about defining, you know, what you're going to be, how you're going to be, who you're going to be, whatever language you want to use around it. It's intentional. It's not by accident. You know, uh, I see the most successful people and, and, you know, I look at you and Simeon, for example, the business that you built, that's not by accident. That took a lot of thought. It took a lot of intentionality. You had to question who you are, what you are and how you're going to present it. It takes work. And, and there's lots of there's lots of excuses behind why people don't do things. And, and so I want to dig into something because you said it earlier and I want to dig into it a little bit because it's always about the journey. You know, this podcast is about seemingly ordinary, achieving extraordinary, which you've done. You are pretty seemingly ordinary. You know, you're like. Uh, many like me, you're raised on the wrong side of the tracks. You got parents that, you know, didn't know how to spell entrepreneur. They just knew how to spell and work hard. You know, that's all they really knew. They had three boys that they, they had to raise and give as good upbringing as they can. And by the way, not only raise them and look after them, feed them, clothe them, get them to school on time or whatever that might be, but also teach them, you know, how do you be in society? Who are you? You know, like, how do you morally do it? So let's go back to that a little bit. So were your parents, I'm assuming, but I don't know this to be true, I'm assuming were immigrants, came into Canada? Yeah. 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 1974-ish. Okay. So you're born and raised here? Yeah. And so tell me a little bit about your journey to an entrepreneur. You know, you did a little bit of sales stuff. You did, you know, worked at a bank and then, but how did you all of a sudden take on and become this entrepreneur, this business owner? Were you kind of always driven to do that as a kid? Like, where did it come from yeah, for you? Yeah, yeah. For me, um, I knew, looking back for sure now, I know why even at the age of six and seven, I was the first kid when the teacher said, who wants to help with the the book sale or the bake sale? We don't even celebrate Christmas. When they said, do you want to knock on doors and sell Christmas ornaments? I was like, first person jumping off my chairs, like, please, please, please let me do it. Looking back, it was because I just knew I didn't want to be in class. Like, I love school. I loved school. It was class that I just didn't really like much because I didn't learn in that setting. And 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 not to say that it's wrong. I think, I think that, like, we need people to go and get degrees. Like, we need engineers. We need doctors. We need lawyers, all that kind of stuff. For me, Especially now, like in the last three, four years with 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 podcasts and and youtube and and you know before then it was I was just a, I was a big reader, but now like I, I was into the self-help stuff like i I'm a big Anthony Robbins guy, but Jack Hanfield, like the the late great Stephen Covey and rest in peace to the late great Bob Proctor. like i I really studied those guys. that was that like that education for me was fun. I stayed up late at night learning that and woke up really early as well wanting to, I just have a thirst for it um and so sales for me Patrick was was I knew I had a little bit of talent in it like you could just tell like in the core group of friends that I grew up on I grew up with sorry I mean you could 
I, I like I could remember if you know we wanted to play basketball and maybe a couple of people want to play basketball, but maybe one of us wants to, two of us want to play soccer. There was a way that I always got a way to get like let's go play soccer, right? Like I knew I had a way with the teachers as well. I had that I hate to use this word, but kind of that gift of gab, and and I I had a little bit of charisma. But then as I got older, I also realized oh my God, I'm really bad at other stuff. You said not spelling entrepreneur. Oh my God, I can't spell half the words I say. Like I have a very tough time spelling. I have a very tough time uh, uh, putting emails together. I tell all my clients, please do me a massive favor, write all your emails in the subject line because if they go too long for me, I'm just not going to read them. I'm going to reply back to you and say, let's get on a phone call because that's how, like, let me get to what you really, really need. And so for me, I think as an entrepreneur, it's very important to understand what you're not good at because then you can easily delegate and have other people help you do that. My journey, really, I mean, my father, like I mentioned, was a taxi driver, mother, a factory worker. This was never in the family, but I knew that I wanted to be, like, I thought it was cool to be a businessman. I didn't even really know what it was, but it's like, what do people do? I always liked it. And I knew I wasn't going to go to school for a very long, like after high school. And that's why I think I, after car sales, which I was probably 20 to 23, I always wanted to invest in real estate. And there was that one big ticket item that was left. I think real, it's safe to say real estate is one of the biggest purchases uh, uh, the, the, the public, would, the average person will be, will, will be making. And, and so I had that one challenge left. That's how I got into real estate, why I got into real estate with the mix of, of, of investing in real estate. And as, you, as, as I started, you know, 23 license, I figured, look, I think I, I, think I can do this but I want to grow a team. And I bumped, I met a guy, that, the partner who passed away, and we started to grow a team at that time. Simeon came a couple of years later. We needed someone with his skill set for sure, but I knew that I wanted more people to grow with me. So the entrepreneurial, you know, I was probably more of a sales guy than, than, than wanting to run a business and, and, and own a business at a young age, but come around 23, 24, I knew this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life because I also realized I'm not really driven by the money. I like it. I like the scoreboard it gives you and like you can see like, okay, how much is this growing by? But I'm not really driven by it. I know that for sure because I'm not a fancy guy. Like I, not that there's anything wrong with the Rolexes and the Bentleys and all that kind of stuff. I was never, I don't care for that stuff. I wear the same you know, your listeners can't see it, but I wear, you know, a hoodie and a t-shirt every single day to work. And that's just who I am. I wear pretty much the same black or blue jeans every day. And so for me, it's really the growth of other people and to see where we, you know, in the real estate side right now, how big can we take this? Like, like, where can this go? I'm, I'm very, very curious to see how far we can take this. And so that, that is what keeps me up at night. Beautiful. Now, when you look at your family, did your just out of curiosity, you said you had two brothers. Did they go on to be business guys? Did they, or were they totally, yeah. you know, what did they do? My my eldest brother, who's uh, uh, turning fifty uh, in August, he's he runs a couple of dealerships right now. Um, he doesn't own the dealerships. He's the general sales manager for two of uh, 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 Honda and a Toyota dealership, and and so he always had. 
he always had the knack for for, for business as well. Um, he ran um, like a, 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 a gym, like a personal, like a, a fitness gym for a while. Um, it just didn't work out. And so then he went into car sales as well and he just worked his way up. And now he runs that that dealership. My middle brother, he's, um, I actually, I actually, think he's one of the happiest people because he's just like, if I tell him we have a, a massive investment opportunity, he just, he doesn't care. Like that's just not him. He's all about his three kids, two daughters and a son. He works for Air Canada. He's been there for, I don't know, 20 years or something now. And he likes to clock out, go home, have a beer, just chill with his kids, watch football, maybe, you know, on, on, on Sundays, but he's happy. I think he's won the lottery because he's not, driven by he's not driven by by money either like he he's happy he's found himself where my old elder brother he always he's very ambitious i was i was really lucky because the having two older brothers especially the one that's 10 years older than me see when i was 10 years old i was he used to take me out for dinner with his friends so i was i was in conversations at that time with 20 year olds and then when i was 15 with 25 years old and 30 like at, with 40 years old 40 year olds so when i got to that age now being 40 i feel like i've kind of been here before it's because of those conversations that my that elder uh, brother really allowed me to sit in on and he had a simple rule don't speak unless you're spoken to and I could I could tell why at a young age when I was 15 16 he would say that to me because he was really he really taught me listen like you just need to listen don't speak out of turn he also probably didn't want me to embarrass him or something if there was there was the opposite sex around with for him and I get that but it, it served me really well. Like I, I sit now as you know, with the role that I'm in, I ask some questions and, and then I just sit there and listen. I try to reverse engineer if I can help someone. So that skill really came because of him. When you look at your business development and, you know, you talked about the personal development that all spoke to, cause there's a, there's a fundamental question that I like to ask of some of my guests, which is, are you born a born leader? Do you believe in the born leader concept or do you think leadership is something that has to be not only practiced, but it has to be intentional? You know, you don't, you don't come out of the shoot being a leader. You may have some propensity to be a leader, but do you study the fine arts of being a great leader? Yeah. So I, I, I personally, and I don't know if there's scientific proof or, 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 or there's like research papers on this by any means, but I, I think that you, you, you need to learn to be a leader. I think it was Simon Sinek that said this. So I, I like, I, I'm going to paraphrase leadership is, is really like brushing your teeth, right? Like you need to do it two times a day. And that is what keeps your teeth clean. It's not the the, the going to the dentist every six months or even every quarter if you go to the dentist every quarter where I think people think of leadership like that, right? Like, okay, I'm going to go to a conference and learn about leadership once every four months or every six months. Let's all, you know, the heads of the organization, let's go there for three days, two days to a conference and, and doing that two or three times a year will make us all good leaders. No, it's a constant brushing your teeth twice a day and if you do it three times a day, even that, but even, even better, where you need to continuously practice this. And it takes a lot of work when you have, when, especially when you have the mindset that you actually work for them. Because back to my earlier statement about, I think I, I was picking on Steven, that he can find a job anywhere. 
So just paying him doesn't give you the audacity to treat him like crap or not give him an environment that he's going to be happy with because he can go get that from somewhere else. Like when you actually come from the mindset that you work for them, and that doesn't mean like letting people just walk all over you, right? Like, I mean, actually caring about them as People, that has to happen on a daily basis. Like, you know, I know the second, Patrick, my 12 support staff, like the, the 12 core people that are with me on a regular basis, the second they walk in in the morning, Patrick, I can tell you if they had a bad day at home. I know them that much. And if they did, if they did, I'm not going to call them out in front of people. I just know I'm going to pull back from them a little bit today. I'm not going to push them. I'm just not going to push them. I can tell by their eyes. I can tell by how they say hi to me. Like, I just... No, that EQ of mine, I believe, is high. I don't know if I have a very high IQ, but the <laughs> EQ is is something that I truly believe that I have a cap, like a skill in, and, and it's high, and, and and it serves me well because when I know Stephen is is having a bad day, or you know, I, I'll let him let him be and let him get out of it. But you know, when it's three, four times in a row, I know with Stephen, I need to take him for a beer. It's not going to be a boardroom sit down. I'm not going to get anything out of him. With Laura, for example, I know, okay, she needs probably a burger or a Diet Coke. Mm-hmm. Like it just changes her state. Sure. With Tyler, I need to go for a walk. So I'm going to try to catch a time where we're going to go to the bank. Instead of me going by myself, I'm going to say, hey, Ty, let's go for a walk. And I know, I really, really know my people. And so for me, I think leadership is something that has to be practiced on a daily basis. You know, you talk about mindset, you know, so my wife, Stephanie, who's uh, an athletic performance coach, a mental performance coach, uh, Olympic class, world class. She's done it for many, many years. So we we decided to do a podcast called Mindset Matters. And, and so it's part of the Everyday Millionaire podcast series. But the point is this, is that around the mindset understanding of it, we're on the journey. Like, so we coach it, but we're, we're on the journey. We're going through the same shit that we, you know, that everybody else is, you know, do we have some additional skills? Do we have a view of the world that many don't? Yeah, that's why we do it. I mean, at this point in our lives, I'm on the, on the other side of 60. And so, you know, I've learned a few things and so I can, I can share that, you know, that, that knowledge and, and it's such an important aspect of what we do as business owners and as leaders. So the question I have for you around it, you know, you talk about, I think there's a great Simon Sinek analogy or metaphor, whatever we call that. But the point is, it's, it's really cool. You got to work it, right? And there's a fundamental is that, uh, and I'm sure you've had this experience, and I know that you and Simeon will do it differently You know, corporate corporations are famous for this. You know, they send out their leaders to a some conference, a personal or professional development conference. They go for three days or two days and they it's all intense and their leadership comes back all fired up to make change and do things differently. And then they don't create the environment. They don't change the environment. So in other words... You, you, it's like trying to fit a you know a square peg into a round hole. You know you got all this new knowledge, but we're not changing the environment. So what I get as I'm speaking with you is a couple things, and I want to dig into this a little bit. Is that you and Simeon have created an environment for your team to to thrive. You know for you to be able to communicate and for you to be able to thrive. Got it. Now here we are, two years in hopefully coming to some form of an end of pandemic and lockdowns and blah, blah, blah. So were you at a time, did you go through an extended period of time where you weren't like physically getting together with your team Uh, or were, or did you guys, you know, aside from the initial shutdown, you know, the initial lockdowns, did you guys, 
work a way around it? Did because it sounds to me like you're built. You got to be around people, and is that is that the case or or not not the case? Like you said it, and like I'm, I'm if you could tell, I'm getting goosebumps because that's when we went into the initial lockdown, whatever whatever it was, 15th of February here in Canada. My first thought was, oh my God, we're not going to be together. We are such a family here, and. That was, and you're taking me back for sure for almost two years ago, and that was my biggest concern. But I mean, at the start, as I'm sure we all were, as we washed even the packaging on the fruit that we picked up, we had no clue what the heck was going on. And so I just said, everybody go home. Now, I was very, very, I was wrong in terms of me saying, guys, this is going to be two weeks. So everybody enjoy a little bit of a vacation. I understand. Go home. We'll, we'll figure it out. And then as you know, the first two weeks we learned um, this is going to be a little bit longer. What I did right away was start a virtual office. Um, we called it our DO, virtual office, which was a Zoom running all day long. So luckily, because we are national, like we have national clients, sure. we knew the platform Zoom. Like we were very ahead of it. We didn't need to learn it. We had our accounts, understanding the mute buttons. You know, oh, you're on mute, Patrick. Like all that kind of stuff. We already went through it. So when this happened, we knew we were going to be able to speak to our clients. That was going to be fine. But I was like, okay, how are we actually going to get work done? Like, how are we going to, how are we are actually going to gel together? The virtual office was the biggest thing that I think that we did at the start, which was we ran it from 8.30 in the morning to 5.30 at night. What it did for us is that we actually ate together like we eat here at the office, where if when I was at home, I brought my food to the table, Laura did the same thing, Tyler did the same thing. And we would just have conversations while we were on the zoom. If I had to take a call, I would take a quick call, put every, I would put it on mute. Tyler, like all of us would be working, but it was just that sense of, okay, I can see Tyler. I can see Laura. I can see Steven and they can call on me. So that's the first thing we did. And that probably ran for about two months at that time. We, and I always feel weird saying this, but we as real estate agents were essential services. I feel weird because I really know who the real essential people are, but the, the government deemed us as essential. So we were always able to come back to the office, but for 60 days, we ran just, we did everything virtually. We spoke to our team, I'm going to say like our outer 54, 55 agents, at least two to three times a week, um, just personal phone calls. Seamus would call them. I would call them. We would try to do a drinking, uh, Zoom drinking kind of night on Fridays at 6 p.m. For half an hour, everybody just have a drink together. Um, so we tried to keep the culture as much as we possibly could. Um, obviously, it was nowhere near what when you're actually with people. But then around the 60-day mark, we started to come back to the office. Mm -hmm. And we we kept it very small. There was like three, four of us. We, we were lucky enough to have three, four offices. We all were in our own offices. But at least we can yell at each other across the room and get work done. So at that time, I think I think the biggest biggest pivot we made was actually having this virtual office, which actually translated to our clients, funny enough, mm -hmm. because we, we, we're we built to do live events. We've been doing live events for 17 years. We did wine and cheeses at our office here, 75, 80 people strong once, a, once every quarter, once every three months. So when that hit, we weren't obviously prepared to do webinars. It never came to us till about 30 days later. And we started, we started do, going live on Facebook every other Saturday. And that was probably 
the biggest game changer in the last two years by far because it gave our clients a place to congregate. Every Saturday at 10.30 a.m., they knew they were going to see Simos and at least Simos and myself, if not the Tylers and the Lauras and, you know, a couple of other of our team members, Bobby, for example, um, who's our director of team operations. They knew that they were going to see us and we were just going to have real estate conversations. Very similar to this, like just a conversation, no scripts. We started bringing food on and we call it brunch with REC. So I would bring food. Seamus would bring food and they just, we just had, and we've been going on, we've been doing this now. We still do it. We don't go every other Saturday. We go once a month now, but I think, I think that the VO with our team and then the brunch with REC were the two biggest pivots we made in the last two years. Yeah. It's interesting because of course, you know, we were doing 60, sometimes more events a year live. Wow. And wow. so, because we were going across the country, we do Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, uh, Toronto, Ottawa, you know, like we we're every month, right? So that, and then, and then major events. So we switched over to Zoom, like we already had an international team. So it was easy for us to do that. We quickly did that. And I think for the, you know, that 90 day period, you know, we really led the way in terms of giving a place for our community to come hang out. And, and we, we did cocktails and conversation on Friday nights and, you know, we'd come and debate things and, you know, drink too much. And we'd, we'd always have a couple hundred people hanging out. Right. So it was really fun. And so we turned it and, and it was a, what was interesting about that, because we're in the space called education and research, because we're a national organization and we have members right across the country, it was interesting because as speakers, you know this, as speakers, you're delivering content, you got an audience, they seem engaged, they seem all the rest of it, but okay, you've done your presentation, you put your deck together, you spent whatever time you did, and then what, right? And then if you're lucky, somebody in that audience got to ask you a question. If you weren't too busy or if there wasn't too many other people, here's what's interesting about what we've gotten very good at and what I've noticed about it is the audience engagement is a game changer because now people are listening to us deliver content, research, all the things, and the chats just lit up all the time. People are asking questions. Now, if we got our eye on the, if we personally as a speaker, we can have our eye on the chat. And often because we do it a lot, we can answer those questions in real time and or somebody on the team is there to answer those questions in the chat. Right. So it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting, and as in the world of real estate, as you know, real estate, it's great. Ontario's the hottest market in town. Well, got it, you know, GTA, Toronto, whatever, you know, surrounding area, but Ontario's a, a really hot province. Alberta's not a hot province. And what we're seeing is money, migrate into Alberta as an example. Well, all of a sudden where it was difficult to connect with a realtor, with a property manager, with, with the the team. Now you go Ontario to the other side, you go to BC, whatever, you know, or vice versa. And it really changed. So, you know, a lot of positive things came out of that from in the scope of the business, but man, oh man, it's, I miss the, the face to face. I miss the hugs I got from members. I mean, yeah. I mean, we have members that have been around for years and years and years. I mean, so it was like, you get to be friends with them and then all of a sudden you don't see them anymore. That's, that's weird. I'm a natural hugger. Like, that's yeah. just like, I love, I love being hugged yeah. and I like hugging people. Right. <laughs> totally. And so, yeah. And so for me, I mean, I think I miss that like yourself the most, but I agree. Like for us, we didn't, we didn't see the chat group stuff coming either. Like when we were doing these brunches and these live webinars, 
we we didn't know about that chat function. And when we started seeing people speak to each other, yeah, somebody from Alberta and somebody from Quebec, and just having a conversation about real estate, or just, oh my God, nice to meet you. Oh, that was a great question that you asked the boys. We were like, oh my God, this is amazing. This the, 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 There's a real community being built here, right? Um, I mean, rain's at a different, in my opinion, rain's at a different level because you guys are so large and you've been doing it for so long mm-hmm. that, I mean, I, like it's just amazing to see the growth that you guys have had. With us, it was new, right? Because like you said, when you do live events, People are not really speaking to each other. They like when we do our wine and cheeses, we try to have them speak and network. And, Don't know as well, um, but right. But they're all kind of in their own little circles, or they want to come speak to us because they haven't seen us for a while. Where, where, and and I say it on a lot of brunches that guys like if somebody wants like from a real estate perspective, this is the best thing in the world for you guys. It is. You, you you can cut us out and we're okay with it. Like meaning do a joint venture together. Like at the, at the hundred like percent minimum, yeah, bare yeah. minimum. Yeah. Let's just stay very focused, go and just speak to each other and ask yourselves the question, ask each other the question, like, Hey, what are you looking for in a partner in a joint venture partner? And you might need to speak to 14 of them um, to, 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 to jive with four and you might get one deal done, but where else, where else can you sit in your pajamas now and, and just network with people? Well, so I think some- it was one of the- there's so many things to that, right? And I know that, you know, we, because you're in the same conversation often, we talk about growth mindset or fixed mindset. And it's, it's, into, it's interesting to talk to people that go, I just can't do the Zoom thing. It's got to be in, you know, it's got to be face to face or it's, you know, it doesn't work for me. And, and, you know, I, I try not to, and I don't really judge it. I, I don't necessarily relate to it. I don't understand it because I go, you are missing so many opportunities to miss to actually meet people to expand your horizons of you know of of the network i mean it's like you're like limiting yourself and that's the interesting thing about this pandemic cuz we can be it's very it's been very divisive very polarizing very political you know it's like it, it pisses everybody off in so many different ways but out of it came some really cool things you know this way of being is one of them you know this way of operating i think you know i've had uh you know i've had uh birthday dinners with my daughter and son-in-law and and my grandkids, you know, because it's not, they live in in Edmonton and I live in British Columbia, right? So I'm doing that. So that's really kind of cool, like that we can do that and have some fun and do it. But my, my point is this, is that the limitations that we had that we didn't even know were limitations before, like networking. I've talked to more guys, CEOs, for example, and you think about it yourself, Jazz. Just think about this. Does it make sense for you? And how often will it make sense in the future? to get on an airplane, to fly to Vancouver, five hours in the air, an hour on each end, plus accommodations, to have a three-hour meeting, to so lo- lose the day, in, and it's not, losing the day in Vancouver or Toronto is not a bad thing, but you know what I'm saying? Three-hour meeting, to then get on a plane the day after to do it all, to fly back again. So it's three days to do really a, you know, a three-hour meeting. And I've talked- I don't know who's going to do that. Who's going to do that anymore? Anybody. Who's going to want to do that? I totally agree. Like I can do now, Patrick, I can, I, I can probably get where, where, where in the past, even if it was local in, in, in the GTA, so call it that 75 kilometer radius, 
I probably could on max do two podcasts a day on max, like, and, and then do my regular day job. Now I could do six yeah. and still get everything else done that 100%. I need to do. Right. The first question I ask people is, do you do them on like a streaming service? Because I don't have to leave them. Right. And then I'm also like, I've, I haven't left my office probably now for about four years. Mm-hmm. Right. Like even when I do client meetings, the clients come in here, like I've had clients, you know, in Ontario. So I'm not sure how it was in British Columbia. We went through at least two patches in the last two years where it was okay for people to meet people. Like I, like when it kind of opened up the lockdown and, 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 and the restrictions. And I had clients call me and say, Hey jazz, like, okay, we'll come meet you. And I'm like, you're coming from the other end of GTA in the middle of traffic. It's going to take you and two hours just to get here, what normally would take 20 minutes. I'm like, just sit at home, guys. I'll yeah. send you a link. Click the link. I know we can see each other. So just even day-to-day business. 100%. You know, there's a, you know, one of my, probably my all-time favorite sayings is when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. You know, Wayne Dyer said that. And when we look at, you know, from a business perspective, even, you know, you and Simeon, you get in a car, you drive an hour, you go meet with clients, whatever, drive an hour and a half, two hours because of traffic on the way back. Like, it's just so not efficient. And on top of that, you can now have a meeting with your key people. It's an hour out of their day as opposed to four or five hours, you know, like, so in other words, you can have a meeting with a client with two, three, four other key people, get way more accomplished, get way more handled, look after that client better. And it takes an hour out of everybody's day as opposed to herding cats, parking cars, doing all the things. It makes no sense. So there's some really, that was just one example of what was cool out of COVID. And, and just to quickly add to that, as a content creator, for me, I mean, I did, I asked you at the start, do you mind if I like get the recording? So that's just innate in me now, like where if I was meeting with a client one-on-one and I brought in a videographer, it seems a little weird, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and they're like, well, what's happening? And so if I'm speaking with a client now, I tell them, guys, this is being recorded, A, really, because now I have all the notes. Sure. I don't have to have my assistant in, in the meeting. My assistant can do something else. We save time there to get more done. The notes can literally just come in a transcription. But I also ask the client, say, look, I'm going to take some clips out of this because then I can also educate some other people because the questions you're going to ask me, Mr. and Mrs. Client, I've gotten the same questions and 10,000 other people are actually wondering the same thing as well. I'm not going to put you in the video. It's just going to be me. It's going to be my face. Are you okay with it? 99.9% of people say, yeah, no problem. So just from a, 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 a content creation perspective, it is a massive win for me. For Seamus and I, when you were speaking about meetings, him and I, I mean, we just go off on tangents when we're in meetings together, one-on-one where we're trying to talk about, like you can imagine, I mean, try to get us, I mean, we did a lot. No, I don't want to be, I, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> I do, yeah, I know. So, <laughs> yeah, so it's good because our, it's recorded now. It's recorded where it's like, you know, we give it to one of our assistants and it's just like, can you take out these four three pointers? And now the work also gets delegated a lot quicker as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to go off on a totally different tangent. So you've got a business, you've got all of the responsibilities, accountabilities, stresses of business. Uh, In your time of growing your business, you had to make some hard decisions. And some of those decisions were, there's financial cost to it, financial risks to it. One of the things that, and I'm sure, and I'd like your spin on it because I know that you deal with this too as a coach. One of the things that I bump up against with people all the time is the fear factor. Okay. Fear, fear of failure, fear of loss, fear, 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 fear. 
sit on the sidelines. You know, back two years ago, you know, I started saying we, we the narrative we had right away because we just know this, which is the pandemic is going to create more opportunities in the world of real estate than we can imagine. We don't know what they are. This was in in literally in April of 2020. We were saying that. We just don't know what they are yet. And was it all freaky and frightening? Of course. But so having said all that, our mindset is watch for the opportunities because they're going to start to show up. Now, a lot of people shut down around that whole thing. What? How do you handle fear? How do you yourself deal with the fear that shows up for you? Are you fearless? Oh, I'm definitely not fearless. Like I, I, I have fear all the time. I'm scared um, I, because I don't know. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. Um, and so sometimes I'm fear. I'm, I'm really more now. Like for me, I mean, I mentioned to you first and foremost, I'm a father and a husband. And so when those, like when my wife is good and my kids are good, that gives me a lot of foundational uh, gratitude. Like I, I can take on a lot now because that's probably the one thing that if anything happened there, knock on wood, like that would really shake my world. And I'm sure anybody who's listening who's uh, married or, 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 or a father or mother or parent understands what I'm saying. So when that's taken care of and that's good, now I can take on a lot. I can take a lot of punches, especially like as long as they don't all come at the same time. If they come at the same time, I might have a problem. When they don't, I can take a lot of punches. And so, and so for me, what, what I remind myself is where I was. To, to, to answer your question, Patrick, how I get over fear is I remind myself that at what, like five years ago, I would have dreamt to be where I am now. And I'm actually further than I probably thought I was going to be. But even then, I didn't have the resources. I didn't have the resources. I didn't have the people in my life. I didn't have the education. I didn't have the experience. So I remind myself of the journey that I've already taken. And then when I'm thinking about the future, I remind myself, okay, look, back then you didn't have it either, but it came somehow. One thing, and it's like the question that you asked, I mean, it's amazing because literally two hours ago, just before this recording, I was sitting down with my VP and I was telling her, I was like, I think the mantra for me this year and what I'm really going to focus on is not to think too far out. Meaning about two weeks ago that we got hit with the biggest storm since 1947 in Toronto, literally since 1947. And I got caught in the middle of it. Because I was driving from Brampton, North Park, where I live now. I was coming into the office. And you know, I don't really read the news often. And so I always say in my content that, that the, the, the easiest way to get clicks is when they tell you that there's a storm coming. Because if they tell you that it's a sunny day, no one's going to click on that. So as they were saying, that I was like, look, it's, it's coming later on in the day. I'm going to be fine. I'm driving. I wake up. There's no snow where I am. I start driving. I'm in the middle. And, and, and I'm halfway to my office. It starts coming down hard, so hard that I can't see, like, half a foot in front of me, I can't see anything. I'm afraid now because I didn't want to pull over because I'm like, well, if I can't see, the people behind me can't see, I'm probably going to get hit. I'm just going to keep going. And in that moment, what happened to me, I remember feeling fearful that I can't see the signs. I don't even know where the exit. Like, it was bad. Like, the worst one since 1947, Patrick. But what I... For some reason, what came to me was, Jazz, 
Just keep seeing the six inches in front of you. That's it. Just keep going. Just keep going. And it started to unfold. And as I got closer to my exit, I saw it. But the, when I spent time about the five feet in front of me, it freaked me out because I couldn't see it. I could not see that. And so for me, when I'm thinking about business, when I'm thinking about personal stuff, the second I go too far out to the future, well, you can't predict it. And, and so much can happen. I now just focus on, okay, what's in front of me? Let me just deal with that. And then I'm going to deal with the next step and the next step. Dr. Martin Luther King, I think, said it best. You don't need to see the whole staircase. You just need to see the next step. And for me, that's how I deal really with fear. Beautiful. I love that. That's great. It's a great way to put it. I love that kind of uh, thought process around fear. I use it often. You know, it's funny that you bring it up is that I haven't thought about it in terms of fear. I've often given that advice or taken that advice myself when it comes to overwhelm, because I found that when somebody's feeling overwhelmed, it's always because they're looking at the top of the mountain. They're looking at, you know, what they've got to get done and what all needs to be done and their, their future thinking. And, you know, I've learned over the years that just what's next, that one step in front of you. But having said that, you bring to light a couple things in the, in the framework or in the context of overwhelm lives fear. You know, the fear of not being able to get it done, not being able to accomplish it. And that one step at a time, you know, you know, fear, many acronyms for fear, but future events appearing real. I mean, that's one of the most common, right? So future events, don't go too far out. Can you do one step? There's a, and I, I, I shouldn't even say it, but there's a, there was a story about a guy in the army. I think it was, he was a, I don't know if he was a Navy SEAL or he was some, anyways, he's out in the middle of the desert and he'd been shot and both legs were not working. You know, he had one arm, like he'd been shot 17 times. Like it was really an ama amazing story. And he had to crawl like seven miles. Like it was an amazing story and, and I'm just not doing it a service at all. But the point is this, he shared this. He would, I think, throw a rock as far as he could throw that rock, laying on the ground, pushing it forward. And it would be like three feet, two feet, one foot, four feet. And all he did was keep crawling to the rock. And it was some story along that line. The point is, if you get the context for it, which is just one, is just do what you can. And I think you said it brilliantly, just where I'm just got to drive the next six inches that I can see. I got to tell you, Patrick, like, I've been driving since 17, 18 years old. I've never been as scared as I was for, 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 for a couple of minutes. Like literally so much was like, oh my God, I made the, I really made the wrong decision. I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking, I'm calling my wife and saying, okay, make sure you're not leaving the house. And it was really just the cars around me as well. Like anybody knows in Toronto, like sometimes you're just scared of the other cars around you, right? I'm not a speedster. I'm not, I'm, 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 not, I'm not that person. But that reminding myself about the next step. And, and, and I think another, for lack of a better word, hack for people as well, if that doesn't work, the just taking it one step at a time. I also think it's tough to have fear and gratitude at the same time, to feel both. Like when you're feeling fearful, if you could ever tap into to gratefulness, oh my God, there's so much there, right? And 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 look, and sometimes you have to go like really, really deep. Sometimes you could just be grateful for the fact like, I'm just so grateful that I'm having a podcast talk with Patrick. Like out of all, like 
Patrick speaks to so many people. You, you're very successful. You run one of the most successful uh, real estate organizations in the country, if not the continent, if not the world. Like, <laughs> I'm not, like, well, you know I don't know about that. And, we do hold ourselves as the best of the world. We always say we're the best in the world at what we do. <laughs> uh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> what right? we do. And I'm on your podcast. <laughs> now, the bigger the, the bigger the possible fear, the, the deeper I might need to go into gratefulness, right? Like I, in two seconds, can... Go, like snap of a finger, I can be very grateful because I know what my triggers are. And my triggers are, I just think about my boys because once I think about my eight-year-old and six-year-old, they don't care that I had a bad day with clients. They just don't care. Right. And so, and so, and so I, I quickly go to them. And the, I mean, there's just so many triggers that we can use. I mean, you need to, if you're not a parent, I'm not sure if people know, but there's approximately a billion people that don't have access to running water. Mm-hmm. A, approximately a billion, one billion people that don't have access to running water. And you're worried, you're worried that your investment property didn't work out. Like you were, you know, are you losing a multiple? (laughs) If you can't find anything to be grateful for, you just need actually a benchmark. Uh, There's a billion people that don't have access to water. You've got a lot (laughs) to be grateful for. And it's hard to see sometimes. It is hard to see. It is hard to see. No doubt. hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Right. Like, I mean, in Toronto right now, you probably need to put in 10, 15 offers before you actually win one. And I get it. I get it. People are very like, like, oh my God, what's going on? I can't win an offer. Can we just take a, like, take a deep breath for a second? Like we're looking for 1.7 million, 2.2 million dollars. Here's here's what I say to investors all the time is that you don't walk down the beach finding gold and diamonds. You know, you don't walk down the street picking up diamonds and picking up gold or whatever. You got to dig. You know, you got to work for those things. You know, you want gold, you want diamonds. Sometimes it takes work. You got to mine that, you know. And uh, so don't expect to just walk down the street and get it. And at times, at times, mining is easy. And at other yeah. times, you got to work your ass off. You got, as a matter of fact, you got to use dynamite and nitroglycerin to get those deals handled. So, no, I mean, I, I love social media. I love it. Like, I love, I love the ability to learn and have access to people that we never had access to. Um, I try to give that access to people as well, and 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 really from an educational perspective. But I think one of the negatives is is some people are caught up in getting success and results very quickly, right? And you see people, you, you, you're on Instagram, you're an investor, and because you saw somebody flip a couple of homes, do a birth strategy, or whatever it is, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. make millions of dollars, A, you either think they did it overnight, or B, you just forget that sometimes people just lie. Like, it's not the truth. Like, there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of people content creators that, you know, rent a jet or skip over a fence at the airport, take a picture with a jet and they act like they own it. Right. Oh, yeah, and so I, know. I know some of those guys. Be, I know some exactly, of those guys. Right? <laughs> you got to die. You got to actually dig to take yeah. your terms, Patrick. You got to dig to find out who the real people are as well. Okay. So there's a bunch of, okay. So there's a, there's a, a fundamental around, you know, that, what you just said. And I, and I use this as an example all the time is somebody may look at jazz Takar and go, you know, here's a guy, he's built a business. He's got this great business, this great team. You know, he's made millions. He's done all the things that he's done. And they want that outcome, but they're not willing to go on the journey. And when you look at how you've constructed your journey, okay, so has it been hard? Yes, but you took the journey. You're actually making a conscious choice every day to walk that path, to go on that journey and to face whatever you have to face on the journey. 
we see it all the time. It's like, you know, we, because we work, well, primarily my wife, Stephanie, but I mean, I've worked with athletes with her for many, many years and everybody wants the gold medal. They have no clue and they have no uh, actual scope or context for what it took to do that. And so then they beat themselves up or they're, you know, they're bummed out because they don't have that. So it's just always a shift of going, you gotta, you gotta embrace the journey. Like you gotta be excited about the journey. And if you get the outcome, that's awesome. But if you're not excited about the journey, then guess what? You're going to quit. You're not going to do it. Or you're going to be really dissatisfied with life because you better like the journey. And I can tell, and I, and I, you can tell me if I, I know I'm not, but you love the journey. You love being the leader. You love being the contact creator. You love being the partner. You love making a difference in people's lives. You love being a contribution to others. You get to have significance, which is a, a, a normal human need. And you get to do it by doing something you love to do, which is being a contribution, making a difference in other people's lives. That's the journey that you're on. The outcome, to your point, is, yeah, the money's awesome too, but that's, that's, that's a byproduct of living an amazing life and getting to do what I love to do. Yeah, I mean, you said so much there that I would want to unpack as well. Um, first thing is I'm still on this journey, and 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 um, I, I I'm so excited about the process. Like I I when, when the lockdown happened, my partner passed away tragically. I knew it was my place to shine. Like I just internally I knew it. I knew it was my my time to bring all the tools that I learned from the Bob Proctors and, and, and Tony Robbins, Robbins and all of it. Yeah. My ex partner, uh, sorry, my partner who passed away, he was a, definitely a mentor to me, but that's when I came, like it came to me at that time, as well as the, you know, the, the, this recent lockdown, which was okay, jazz, all these books that you've listened to remember it's not power. The knowledge is not power. Just reading them means garbage. It means nothing. It's the actual use of it now. And so I had all these tools. I had all these tools already in the toolbox. And that's when I realized, okay, time to use them now. And the, the process of the ups and downs in business, losing some people, I mean, five, six, six years ago, I mean, we had other business partners and they, they like, like we had court battles. They literally took a little over seven to eight hundred thousand dollars from both Simeon and I and my ex-partner. We, you know, court case, we won, all that kind of stuff. We didn't get all our money back, not even close to it. Anybody who's been in any type of legal battle, you know, it generally goes to the lawyers. There's at least some closure around that. But all of that, all those downs, I, like I, I'm here because of that stuff. I'm here because I, I was able to go through that. And you know, when you said being able to do what what I I love to do. It's one of the reasons I feel like I'm one of the luckiest people in the world because I don't really go to work. I use that word like, okay, honey, I'm going to work now. Or, or I tell my little boys, okay, daddy's going to go to work on, on Sunday or Saturday, whatever it is. But I'm, I'm, I'm getting to live my, like in my hobby every single day. I'm sitting and doing a podcast with you. After this is done, I'm sure my, my team's going to say, hey, guys, you got some callbacks to do. And I get to speak to clients and, and to see them grow you know, create wealth in real estate, something that my parents never got to do because they didn't have the education. And that's not on anyone except for them. They never went and got the education, right? Um, and for me, I had, I was lucky to have people around me that said, hey, there's other ways of, of, of earning money. But, you know, to your point, Patrick, I've, I have been blessed to make millions and 
that's never changed who I am. I actually think when you make more money, it just exposes who you really are. If you're an ass before, you're a bigger <laughs> ass now. Bigger if, ass, you're yeah. a, if you're a kind heart, you're just going to be that much more kinder. And so for me, I it, like somebody's going to DM me on Instagram and tell me that like their piece of content, a, a piece of my content helped them in some way. I like that more than a commission check that my team makes because they, I'm happy for my team. I'm really happy for them and I'm happy for the client, but I don't need another car. I'm not going to buy a second car with the money. Like mm-hmm. the DM to me, the email for me, that is everything. That is like, and I get, and I'm lucky again, like I'm so blessed and grateful that I get those two, three, four, five times a day. And, and that, that to me is, is really the process that I'm enjoying. There is no destination. You know, you, you spoke about yourself and your wife, Stephanie. I mean, you get to deal with athletes. I think one of the disadvantages in, in, in being an athlete, and I'm a massive sports fan. Like there's probably, I probably know too much about sports. Like I don't need to know as much as I, I got useless data in my brain about sports, but I think it's unfortunate that the age, you know, unless you're Tom Brady, a Cristiano Ronaldo, a Messi, a LeBron James, 35, 36, you got to stop playing now. You can't play anymore. And what you and I get to do we get to do this if we choose to till the day we go. Well, I, I, I share all the time. I'm, I'm on the Freedom 95 program because as long as, I'm, <laughs> as long as I'm doing what I love to do and and I get to do it, I will continue to do it. I'm I say Freedom 113 <laughs> because 13 is my lucky number and that's where I'm going to. <laughs> so I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, we talk about partners and, you know, we've all, I, I know I've had my share partners and that didn't, uh, we, you know, mistakes made. But anyways, the question I have for you is you and Simeon, you're like brothers from another mother. So, but I'm sure it isn't all, you know, you know, it isn't all cognac and roses. I mean, there's probably, so how do you, as a partner in your partnership, do you guys have agreements to how how you're going to be with partners? Did they just evolve? Were they intentional? Did you intentionally define your relationship with Simeon? How did you make the most? How did you get your partnership to where it is today? So 10 years ago, myself and Simeon decided and our uh, our partner that passed away that us three were going going to go into business together. And then when our partner who passed away four years ago, Simeon and I just looked at each other and 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 decided that we're going to continue the dream because we were really, as you can imagine, just heartbroken. And, and there were some clients who left us and as they should have, because that's their own decision. I, I never judged that. We had referral sources as well that left us. And, and again, all good in that sense. I mean, a lot of people are back now and we're all doing business together and it's all, it is all cognac and roses in that sense. With Simeon and I specifically, um, I'm going to say majority of it was organic. Like we, other than that, conversation with the three of us 10 years ago we said okay we're going to go into business together and we're gonna this is how it's gonna look not even from a rules perspective it was just like let's do this together let's grow this team the agents at that time was probably 14 15 agents maybe 16 agents let's grow that aspect of the organization as well as let's grow our client base as well and then but in the last after the partner passed away that's when Simeon and I decided okay we need to really define our roles now because there's becoming a crossover like i mean where 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 some of the agents are 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 asking asking me to do certain stuff and that's 
and that's okay, but they're also asking you. And it's like, there's just a lot of crossover. Sure. We're doing the same thing. And that's when we decided, okay, look, Jazz, you be, you be kind of client facing, you handle all that stuff. And Simos, uh, just I, cause, again, because it comes second nature to him, he's going to handle all the defensive stuff, which is like the legals and the accounting, along with our team. Our team of 54 agents, they're independent contractors and very, very self-sufficient. They have their own client base. They, they've been in, a lot of them haven't been in business for five to six years and more. I mean, we got, we got veterans that are with us for 20, like that have been real estate agents for 20 years. So, but there needs to be some accountability. They need to be able to go to someone. They need to know who to call on. And so that four years ago was probably the best decision we made where let's, these are our roles. So we know the core group around me, we actually call it like DM, which is Don Mills on the east side of the GTA. Simos is in Mississauga and he, he, he works there. Him and I meet up every, for sure, we kind of have a standing date every other Saturday. That's when we talk about anything that any major decisions that need to be made. I completely, completely stay out of what he does. I'm, a, I'm here as a sounding board for him. There is a lot of times that I would do things differently, but that's having a partnership and understanding that. On his, like on the flip side of the coin, he completely stays out of my way. And I know he would do things differently if he was running this part of the organization. But we just decided, if there was anyone other than my own, like my two older brothers, I said to myself, and I, I mean, he has a, a younger brother and a older sister, so he's the middle child. There would be no one else that I would trust more than Zemos. Like I, I, I trust him. The money stuff, like we always knew, like we're not going to steal money from each other. It's just not who we are. You know, maybe it's the immigrant background. It's the, it's, it's, it's coming from where we came from. We knew the second if I take if we steal money from each other, it's over. It's done. There is no coming back from that. That's that's kind of our deal breaker. Our that's it. your that's deal breaker. The deal breaker. Yep. That's the you know we drew sure. we drew the line in the sand. So once we realize we're okay there, I don't ever wonder what he's doing mm -hmm. ever. Yeah. Ever like I I just know whatever he's doing, he's trying to progress our growth. Yeah, it's that's the best it. best interest of the business. Yeah. It's the and best interest yeah. of the business. He's going to be wrong because I also know how many times I've been wrong. And we just let each other play. And that took a while. You know, when you said it's not been cognac and roses in that sense, oh, I mean, there's not like, don't get me wrong. There's times where, where, where we will raise our voice at each other. Sure. Very few yeah, in yeah. the last 10 years. Maybe I can think of a handful to seven times, but we just don't disrespect each other. And so um, that is the other line that we drawn in the sand because, you know, once you disrespect each other, you, it, things never, in our opinion, are yeah. stay the same. I also have, you know, I also have another business partner in my media company who's also the, v Laura Stewart, she's the VP of, of REC Canada, but she just has a back, like she, she has an MBA in marketing and branding and really helped with the rebrand of our real estate company. So it just made it, easy for me to call her in and become a partner in the media company. And I'm learning there as well, right? Like I, I think, you know, sometimes I think I'm an amazing partner and sometimes I know I have a lot learning, a lot more learning to do because one skill that I don't have that is not as good as I want it to be. And that's the journey. That's the, I'm in progress kind of is communicating to the to the the quantity of what my partner might need, meaning Simo sometimes does need a little bit more communication because I'm really fat. I like to move fast. 
right? I do have a lot of energy and sometimes I like to move fast and I just make decisions and then I'll deal with the ramifications afterwards of, of, of not getting it right. Laura's very similar to that. She likes to, she likes for things to be communicated. And so I'm just trying to, I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to be better. Where I'm really lucky with them too, is that they know my intent is right. Like they know how much a love I have, like true, true love I have for them as a brother and as a sister, but that I'm not perfect. And they they laugh amongst each other all the time. Uh, that's just jazz being jazz. Like he's he's always trying to do something better for the business as well. However, he's not sometimes good with communication. Um, and so I'm just trying to be better with that, right? And and I try to stay out of their way as much as possible because at the end of the day, whatever decision that they make, we wouldn't have known the outcome of the other decision. So who cares? Let's just move on. Yes. There's very few things that could be detrimental to any one of our businesses right now. Very few things. And so, I mean, I, I feel very comfortable knowing that those are the two partners I have. And if somebody's listening right now and thinking if they should go into a partnership, you really need to ask yourself why. I mean, Seamus and I got very lucky because it did happen organically. The 10 years, like the two, three years, years leading up to the 10 years, him and I became friends as well. And so it kind of just happened organically. We spent a lot of time. I truly like his company. Yeah. Like, I like when he's around me. I like when we were having drinks and eating dinner together. I like Laura's company. So that makes it easier for sure. But, you know, I think you mentioned it earlier, Patrick. I mean, partnerships are very, very tough because at sometimes, sometimes you just have different thoughts on where you want to take the business. Views of the world, different values. Different values. Different values. And I I think that's where I'm lucky with both my partners um, that our values are, are very similar. Yeah. You got misaligned values. It's destined for crashing. Okay. We got to wind down. We've been going at this for a while, which is great. Wow. Love your stuff. Love your, 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 your fired up. You got lots of great, uh, I love your uh, conversation, but we're going to do some, what rapid fire questions, Jazz. All right. Rapid fire, short and sweet. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Favorite book. What is one of your favorite books? The one that you maybe gift the most. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People from Dr. Stephen Covey. Yeah. Um, Great book. I just, my favorite book of all time. Yep. Seek first to understand and then to be understood. The third habit, the third habit, I love it. Okay, favorite swear word? <laughs> it's probably fuck. Fuck. Like, just said like that, like fuck. Yeah. It's, it's the first thing that comes out. It's those fires that I need to put out. I, yes. I, like, I release it. The second I say it, whatever that thought, like I just, it's all released. Now I'm ready to go. Let's go. Yeah. I'm an F-bomber. I can't, I, you know, I try and do, I, I try and not to, I, I've had guests on the podcast, you know, that I, and I've shared this before. I have guests on the podcast. I go, what, your favorite swear word? They go, yeah, no, I don't really swear. <laughs> How can you express yourself? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not yeah, worthy. And mine is, and mine's never really uh, like, ah, fuck on the table. It's not, no, it's no, no, like, no, 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 no. Yeah, of it's course. Like, okay, another thing. I just another <laughs> thing I gotta deal with. Another thing I gotta deal with, right? So, and now my uh, assistant partner, who's amazing, the second he hears it, he'll just come into the room. Jazz, what what's up? Do? Yeah, what are you, what's going yeah, on? What's up? What are you gonna do? What's going on? <laughs> do you have a favorite inspirational quote? I, I think it's like you know, it's it, it, it's it's what I have as a sign in, and I keep on saying it's it's what I have. It's the studio that I had. It really is ready, fire, aim. 
Mm. Um, I'm just, I'm such a pull the trigger and adjust along the way kind of guy that for me, I get uneasy when I'm in aim too long before actually firing. And that doesn't mean don't aim. It means just pull the trigger, but then aim along the way. So for me, the inspirational quote is ready, fire, aim. Don't get stuck in paralysis by analysis. Got it. Do you have a favorite tune? A favorite tune? Or band. Cool. Um, wow, I love all types of music. Uh, um, where would I go with this? I mean, I was... Um, it's a hard was question. A big, it's a hard question. Yeah, it is. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really... A, a, a big Tupac fan. Yeah. I just liked, I actually loved his poetry more than anything else, but I like kind of his story and uh, a lot of his messaging. Favorite movie? Scarface. Tony Montana. <laughs> um, Scarface. Uh, Usually, by the way, yeah. most dads or most most people go, whatever my kid's watching these days. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so yeah I, my kids are watching some... some, some so uh, I've had uh, Frozen. I've had, I've had Frozen a few it's times. Frozen, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. It, by far, uh, Tony Montana is my... Uh, uh, sorry, Al Pacino is my favorite yeah, yeah. actor of all time. Godfather. It, it, it really is a tie between Godfather, the first one, and actually the second one, and uh, Scarface. But Scarface, I just... I just I loved his acting in it. Hey, okay, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you get to the gates? Thank you for inspiring people. Beautiful. And speaking of gratitude earlier, what are you grateful for? My parents. My my kids wouldn't be here. My, I wouldn't be married to the person I'm married to. My father worked 24 hours a day because he worked airport taxi and then was off. For the uh, it would be day on day off, so he'd be off for twenty four hours, but then he was sleeping for I don't know ten hours of that day, and till this day, I mean, he, he he's alive, healthy, seventy seven, seventy eight years old, just turned last week, two weeks ago. But he he every night would come into my bed, whisper in my ear, "I love you," in 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 our language, and give me a kiss. And I I mean, my mother to work in a factory for. 35 years doing the same thing every single day, not understanding the language whatsoever. They she had no idea, like till this day doesn't know how to speak English, knows a couple of words and that swear word being one of them probably. Um, <laughs> sure. And they tried to give us everything. We didn't grow up with everything, but we also didn't grow up with nothing. And there's nothing more than, than, than my two parents that I'm grateful for. Like Beautiful. by far number one, like super, super, super pedestal stuff. It's my father and mother. Beautiful. Well, I am grateful to have had the opportunity to have you as a guest on the podcast, Jazz, and get to know you just that little bit better. A lot of sorts of insights going on in there. So uh, thanks for your time. Thanks for your energy. And thanks for what you uh, brought to the podcast today. Lots of lessons in there. You're, you're welcome. And thank you for having me, Patrick. I can't wait to hug you when we see each other in person, because like I've been watching a lot of stuff that you've been doing. And it's just, it, I said it at the start and I'll say it at the end. It was a true honor to be on your podcast. Well, thanks for joining me. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends as it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener. If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, 
Patrick out. <laughs>